Welcome to the Two Top Podcast, the weekly podcast where we go over different topics in the world. I'm your host, Thomas Lance, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Berg. How's it going? You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Make sure to follow us on Twitter to stay updated on the latest episodes. Now let's dive right into this week's episode of Two Top. All right, welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. Matt, did you just did your computer just make a noise? It, it made an urn. Nice. Well, now we have to start over. No, we don't. Am I even recording? Yes, I am. Yeah, you're just really cool. quiet. All right. Well, that's enough banter for the beginning. You know, you didn't hear any of that, guys. But hey, we're back. It's Two Top. It's a week later. You think it's been two days. You have no idea, you have how, long no idea how long it's been. And I just want to say before we get started that next week's going to be our one-year anniversary. Woo. Look at that. We've been going on. Two Top's been going on for a whole year now. Two Top, one year. One year. So I just want to say thank you for all the support. It's been a great year, and we have more episodes coming in the future. And maybe some new stuff as well. I was going to say, yeah. It's It's been a pleasure teaching everybody new things for a whole entire year. Can you believe it? I'm impressed that we haven't run out of ideas, but I guess when the whole world's an option, you just don't stop. But Matt, let's kind of, let's talk about some interesting things. And I want to talk about how in the past things were difficult. In graphic design, those posters, those Time magazines, everything's laid out in those ads. Someone had to do that all by hand, if you think about it. Nowadays on Illustrator, you just line everything up or in Photoshop you just drag and drop but back in the day you were it was hard work but let me explain how hard this work was because it was no simple task so what they had to do was for their creations everything was done by hand so using a pen called a repetograph repetograph yes. like an actual pen is this a pen or like a a stick type thing, tool? It's an actual pen, but the reason it's not like any other ballpoint pen or anything, it's a pen that you'd refill the ink because what's special is not the ink, but the pen tips themselves. So in Illustrator, Word, Photoshop, InDesign, all those apps, you have your point size for your width of your fonts, of your lines, and that equates to the sizes of these pens. Ah, so we're talking calligraphy now. Yes, so these pens had different points of like half point, one point, two point, and these pens had different thicknesses. Do those points actually correspond to the sizes that our digital components use today? Yes, so it's actually something that was used back then and is still used today. It's a direct translation. I always wondered why it was called points, and now I do know. I thought it was always like pixels, but now, no, a pixel No, because is much you can smaller. do pixels and okay, points. Okay, okay. So. You would have to do this all by hand, and by hand you have to use, obviously you have to use T-squares and triangles to make everything straight and aligned. And like nowadays in these programs, you just drag kind of close to the middle and it'll snap. Back then you had to measure, make sure everything lined up, and it was tough work because one mistake and you start over. Tedious. Tedious, oh, tedious stuff. So I'm, I was trying to think of an example to relate better to this and think about writing an entire essay, but you couldn't use the backspace key. And if you mess up, you have to start the whole paper over. Sort of, sort of like a typewriter, you know? Yeah. What they, what they have, had to use in the, in the old days. It's like there's no going back. It's what's done is done. So also, like, imagine drawing a whole photo, but you could never erase. 
Mm. So there's a lot of tediousness. It's a lot of patience, and you really have to think about all the things you do. Now, think of type. So nowadays, you go on Word or any program, Illustrator, Photoshop, and you have all your fonts. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll do a Helvetica and Arial Times New Roman for a paper, maybe. Or maybe get fancy with some Babis Nui, Lemon Milk, Lobster, Comic Sans. Never, because that's a terrible font. But <laughs> never, never use that font, please. Back in the day, most normal people would not know the names of fonts because they had never come across them in their lives. That's something that graphic designers, typists would use. But back in the day, if you wanted to test, imagine you're making an, an ad, you have the text that your customer wants, and you want to see how it looks on the page to line it up. You go to your typist and you ask him, I want Helvetica, bold, semi-bold, 48 font, 36 font. And you'd go and you'd ask for all these font variations and you'd get them like 24 hours later, all laid out, all typed out. And you'd lay them on your page, see if they like line up, how they work, and you show them to your client. Now, if your client doesn't like it, you have to go back to the typist. That's another 24 hours, right? So imagine if whenever you want to change fonts on your Word document, you have to wait 24 hours. That's insane. And here you just highlight everything and change it on a computer, on a Word doc, on a Google doc. Man, we take it it for granted. I know. And also, so imagine you don't have the time. You really need to get things out. There is these things called uh, letra sets. Letra sets. And... Mm. What you do is they be like transparent sheets, and you'd lay them over, and you'd rub, you'd rub letters onto a page, or rub lines that are pre-drawn onto a page. So you have to line up and hand type these fonts by hand by pressing these letters and lining them all up with your T-square and your triangles to make everything perfectly right angles, perfectly lined up, and. As I said, if you mess up, you start over. It's tedious. That's 100% start over, right? You mess up, you're done. You're done, and there's no going back. That's patience, extreme patience. Now, I'm wondering if I could have done that back in the day when we had to line everything up by hand. I don't think I have the patience. And I think modern technology kind of takes that patience away from us because we just expect it to be able to flip in, in, in an instant of pressing a button. And well, what the worst part is, so even when you're done, you have to give it to the courier to bring it to the newspaper. You might hand it to them, and they might take it, and they might accidentally drop it in a puddle. It might go through the rain. It might get crumpled, and then you have to start over, and it wasn't even your fault. So you're not just saving to your multi-terabyte storage bin anymore. You're literally trusting it in someone's hands to get it to where it needs to be. And if it doesn't get there, well, it's on your hands to start over and do it all again. It's your job. It's your it's your money on the line, I guess, at that point. And that's why the founders of Adobe created Adobe. The big thing for Illustrator, the creation of that, for graphic designers, I'm going to focus on that a little bit, is because, I mean, people had to do all this over and over again. Uh, one of the co-founders of Adobe, uh, his wife was a graphic designer, and the first project he was working on was just having these curves. Normally, you use like French curves to create all these set curves on a page. But imagine you wanted a curve that didn't exist. There, you'd have to freehand it. And if you mess up, you'd have to freehand it again and start over. And that's why they just didn't freehand it. It was all French curves. 
So the first thing he developed was being able to make just a curve in Illustrator and be able to just drag how the curves work. Because in a sense, a curve is just math, just special math that sets up these curves and, well, you program it into the computer and then anybody can access it. And this is the big push to then creation of Illustrator in the Creative Cloud and Adobe's rise to power. And I think it's great. I've been using Adobe for like six years now. I really enjoy it. And it's also, I would be very sad without it because I need it to pass most of my classes in architecture. Thomas, did you just admit that math is used in real life? Math is used in real life. Was that, is that calculus? Are we talking curves? We're talking curves. I mean, like it's not used in everyday real life. It's more like but it's a fundamental principle of that feature of Photoshop that everybody's going to use at some point, right? Absolutely. I mean, the pen tool is one of the most iconic tools in Photoshop and Illustrator. So I absolutely can't stand math, but that ma that makes me pretty excited to hear that. I don't know. That's just a real. It's like a smack in the face. We actually use that, you know? Yeah. Who knew we actually? We used couldn't the use it without. We, we couldn't school. use it without those numbers behind it. Interesting. I'm looking at the the history of Photoshop right now. 1988 by Thomas and John Knoll. Yeah, John Knoll was the man with the wife. Wow. Yep. Yeah, so, such, an, such an 80s thing. So it was 28 years ago that it was released. And it's still pulling money out of my pocket today. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a super powerful suite of applications, the whole ent entire Adobe suite. But you know, it's, it's something that's needed, I'd say. People make livings off it. That's their career. I mean, a whole industry of designers and creative professionals, that's what they rely on. Without but, it, what would they be? They would be those guys running around doing their own calligraphy, using their T-squares. To be honest, I don't even know. I personally enjoy graphic design now, but I don't know if I could have done it back then. I feel like it would have been just too much, too much for me, too much room for error, too much repetitiveness except I do stuff over and over again in architecture anyway, so maybe I'm used to it already. You know what? They're probably pushing those those tedious kind of max, just push your brain as much as it can go. But think about it. There's always, back in the day, they used to go even farther with the amount of, of hand-intensive work that was done. Yeah, so I guess we kind of get a pass. We maybe don't it's have not to do that bad much. for you. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't have the same classes. Well, Matt, what do you have then? What, what can you bounce back at me? Bounce back. How about I sing it back to you? We're talking about music today. Ooh-wee. <laughs> talking about the music industry and how it's changed since the release of uh, streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music. I am a avid Pandora. Spotify user. Whenever I hear an ad on someone else's Spotify, I'm like, just get the pro. It's worth it. It's worth it in the end. We're going to talk about, is it worth it? Is it worth it to you and I? Yes. Is it worth it to the artist? Is it worth it to Spotify? Is it worth it to the big music corporations, the labels? Who wins in the end? Who wins? So it's really interesting because it's only new. I mean, only within maybe the past 15 years we've seen streaming. You know, that's a very long term, 15 years, maybe 10 years more realistically for mass consumption of like, say, Spotify. Well, I think streaming is even newer. Maybe like digital music downloads, that's... That's old. That's going back to the first iPod. And deep, that's when it was still like CDs. And I was going to say, before even MP3s, we're talking hard media transfers with discs. We're talking cassette tapes. We're talking vinyl even back in the day. There was no streaming back then. That's for sure. So opportunities today to listen to music are so much more prevalent for us because you can just pull it up on your computer and you have unlimited amounts of music all at the, at the 
press of your fingertips, you know, on the on, on your computer, your iPod, your I mean, who has an iPod anymore? It's all iPhone, it's all smartphone, it's all tablets. You know that? Yeah, there's no need for an iPod anymore, except my there sometimes if you're a big big music buff you'll have just the iPod and have gigabytes and gigabytes upon gigabytes of music but here's the question where are you getting those gigabytes on gigabytes of music are you buying that or are you downloading from sources online that aren't necessarily legal well the the big music li- library in our house is uh all the CDs that our parents had they were all digit Dad took a summer to digitalize. You burn all and them. rip all your discs and transfer them and save them. And yeah, that's your library, right? You get a big iTunes library out of that. You know, almost every single song from ABBA, but yeah, that's same, mom's same. choice. Actually, our library started with Adele, and it had the one album with her face on it, and it always bothered me. No, there was one with Adam Lambert. Do you know who Adam Lambert was? Yeah. He, American Idol or something? He didn't win, but he, he got close win, enough to become famous. But he got a label famous. deal or yeah. something, and he came up first on my iTunes library. This is taking me way back. Man, that was a scary image seeing his face pop up every time. Oh, is it um what the first song that shows up on your library when you hit a new song? Absolutely. I think there's a song on my uh phone that starts with A B C is in the title, so it automatically is that's the first one. First one Always. that plays. I mean, that's a technique artists could use, you know. Now, with the digitization, digitalization of music, there has been so many new opportunities, but also there has been revenue loss in the music industry due to piracy. So we're seeing all digitalized music is MP3, MP4 format, you know, every everything music. You can download it illegally. You can download it legally if you pay money. But who pays money? Normally we're paying subscriptions, right? Right. So do you remember in the days on iTunes, how much would you pay for a song, Thomas? A song's like 99 cents? Yeah, that's what I said. But then Some I remember- Some songs are more expensive, like $1 or something? I remember there being a time, I remember growing up early, early when we had an iPod in my household, it was 99 cents and I would have to preview the song before buying it when albums came out. And I would have to ask my parents if it was okay. I remember Weezer Red Album came out and I was like, can I buy this song? Um, Everybody Get Dangerous, good song, great song. Listened to it the other day, took me back. Um, It was 99 cents. And then I remember at a point, it was scandalous, a dollar and 29 cents. Yeah, I think that's Do you remember that's what they boosted up to? And everybody was like, wow. And right around then is when I I remember I switched to Pandora Radio when I had Wi-Fi. And that was like late middle school, early high school for me. And I realized, and then I found Spotify. Yeah, I- For free, of course, back then. Well, what's funny is I was I I also went to Pandora. I listened to Pandora a lot, and then the problem was, someone tried to convince me to go over to Spotify. But I'm I was big into the radio that like it would just play a random mix. Based I like off that stuff. too, and that's still nice. But you know that's a feature in Spotify. So but Spotify sold me. I swear the Spotify radio was not as good as the Pandora radio. But over time, I enjoyed Spotify so much more that. It now I found I found my desires on Spotify of my Discover Weekly and my daily mixes that have all the music that I prefer to listen to on a daily basis. But how much do you pay for a subscription fee per month for Spotify right now? So okay, technically <laughs> okay. we have a family plan which is oh okay fifteen Good. I think it's fifteen dollars but you can have up to six five or six names on it. Mm-hmm. And I know there's five names on it now, so if you take the 15 and divide it by five, I personally pay $3 a month for Spotify. Nice. That's awesome. I pay $5 with the student discount. You get Hulu free from that too, I think. You do. 
Yeah, uh, with ads, but you do get Hulu. That's and we're not, good and we're deal. not sponsored by Hulu or Spotify, but I would recommend it. Yeah, I'd say it's a good deal if you're a student at least. So for a person that's not a student and takes no advantage of any discounts, that's ten dollars a month for uh, Spotify as of right now. So that's it seems like a lot of month uh, money for the year, hundred twenty dollars, you know, for twelve months. But is that really a lot of money in the scope of things? In the scope of music, I feel like that's cheap. An album. Think, I mean, if you really get your value out of it, if you're listening to hundreds upon thousands of songs or if your library contains thousands of songs and you use that almost every day, like I do, you're definitely exceeding the value of, I mean, I'm only paying $5. You know, you're paying a lot more. And I'm going to give you a little algorithm here that I, I, I found a really interesting article. A guy calculated how much money is made off a, a listen on Spotify. But with the quantity of music that artists are sharing with their audience, it has changed the, the digital streaming. The average album length has changed drastically over the last decades. So from cassette tapes to digital EPs, the track listing has increased by 11 to 16 tracks in just 10 years. So now it's easier and cheaper for artists to make more songs. Oh, release them sooner because it's not, a, it's not physically making anything. It's just digitally transferring. See, I thought it would go down because I would think they're not making as much money from it anymore, are they? Well, that's the next thing I want to talk about. Smaller bands are able to push their music more easily now, and they can put it on big platforms such as Spotify, and it could be found more easily because it's right alongside other artists, you know, at big names. You know, your oh, band, yeah. so-and-so, can be next to Taylor Swift. Well, oh, Taylor yeah. Swift wasn't on Spotify for a little bit, but... Yeah, there's um there's a small band that I ran I found out about they opened for a show and they're like the they're called the Slender Bodies and like you look on their Spotify they have a couple they have a bunch of like EPs of like one or two songs exactly but I'd never come across them that's but it's up there with them and they were able to put those EPs up because it's I'm not saying it's it's free but it's relatively easy to get up on Spotify almost anyone can do it podcasts know? are on Spotify too podcasts are on Spotify we're not up there yet. I know how to get up there, but we don't, we can't. No, <laughs> we've talked about that. Yeah, one day. Uh, that's a that's a plan for the future. So in the United States alone, there are 30 million people subscribing to mu music streaming services. Spotify is the biggest. Apple Music is another big one. There's a lot of advertising. Now you can pay to get the advertising off of that, but money's coming in definitely through advertising. But most people are using each other's accounts, which is kind of a form of pi piracy, don't you think? I don't. You know, it's funny. I disagree with that because Spotify, you can't because it knows if you're listening on a different device. That's true. But I know people, I mean, if you log into your friend's account on your phone, like I have my account logged in on multiple devices and it doesn't ask oh, me all the time. Look at, look at that. So I can listen separately. So it is possible to share your account. I know a lot of families do that. Siblings do that. You know, I think it's great. I'm not saying it's you know, I wouldn't suggest it, right but it's a great thing, thing to do. But it's a great thing because we can all listen to music, and music is very important. So whether or not you're paying a subscription fee, the streaming site is making money. So the more subscribers there are, the more money that there's going to be. So because so many people are paying subscription fees for music, that means there has to be money in there. So how much does Spotify or an artist make? So a Spotify admits that the average per stream payout to rights holders lands somewhere between... 0.006 cents and 0.0084 cents per listen per listen it depends so here's a little algorithm i read this is a person online here's what that means for me my top artist of the year was this built to spill whose songs mostly from this new album they streamed 267 times over the course of uh, 2015 
Using the upper limit of Spotify's estimated payout, that would be 267 listens times the .0084 cents, which means I paid Built to Spill somewhere around $2.24 for an entire year of, of listening to their music. And that $2.24 is among distributed among the music rights holders, which includes labels and publishers. So the band is even getting less than that amount. My most streamed track of the year was this one song, and I'm sure the artist appreciated the 27 pennies it earned them. I listened to 13,000 minutes of music on Spotify this year, which means I paid around one-tenth of a cent per minute, and I'm paying Spotify's $10 a month per subscription fee. If I were relying on its fee ad-supported tier, the payout for artists would even be smaller. That's not a lot of money. So he paid like $2.34. Picture yourself buying an album. What if people bought albums? How much does an album cost? Around like 15 10 to $20, 10. Yeah. I would say, anywhere in between there. Depends on how new it is. So that's that's money being lost for artists. But because so many people are able to stream these days, there's so many numbers, it's not making a huge difference, but it is slowly kind of deteriorating. Um, I listened to a great podcast with an interview with a musician, session musician, Steve Jordan, and he made the analogy of Spotify streaming services of any sort being like Whole Foods. If they gave you a membership to Whole Foods, a card that says you could go in there for a whole year and get as much as you want just for an upfront cost, people love Whole Foods. They would raid the place. It would destroy Whole Foods, right? Right. There wouldn't be anything left if everybody had that subscription card. That's the same idea as Spotify. Now, with music, there's so much music out there, and it's keep keeping being produced. So that's not the problem. But it is kind of stripping its resources, in a sense. It's not the old music industry that we're seeing. So what what does that mean for the future, then? Well, I just uh, my last point is is unrelated to the music industry, but... The uh, cell phone industry and data, I mean, people have to have data to use these streaming services outside of Wi-Fi. It's definitely boosted that part of life, right? I will say, though, a lot of uh, a lot of data companies, they offer free streaming. That's what I was going to say. Also, they understand the importance of it. So even if you have, like, a non-unlimited data plan, they can still give you certain, um, say, like, Netflix and Hulu is free as long as – and Spotify as well. Pretty crazy deals, right? Yeah, I think it's great. They wouldn't do that if they were hurting, so obviously they're doing fine. Did you um are you an Apple Music subscriber? I am not. Did you ever try it? I did try it and I didn't I don't like the Apple Music platform that much. I don't like the the way it's laid out. Plus I have so much music saved into Spotify. Right. Same that I'm already kinda here. embedded in it and I have no complaints. So Yeah. Alright. Well, we've talked about our um, we've talked about our illustrator back in the day, and we've talked about the future of music streaming and like what that does to an artist. But do you know, like back in the day, to record like a music to record a vinyl was such a complicated process. You're talking tracks on tracks of session on session. You're not just cut and pasting anymore. No, even worse, even older. We're talking the twenties. So what they do is they'd have one microphone for a whole orchestra and band. You'd have Obviously, you just have one take. You'd have one go through. And to like get different volumes, different levels, different sounds, you'd have to place the musicians in different areas. So say if the violin was too quiet, you'd have to move them closer. If the voice was too loud, you'd move them further away. And you'd have to balance this all out just to record on these vibraphones on these well, in a sense, vinyls. Now we're talking about the, the standard concert orchestral layout, right? 
Yeah, but the like, drums in the back to keep that down. Think of like '90s swing is uh, '90s swing, '20s swing, '20s. Yeah, the flapper swing. <laughs> yeah, it's like that Big was band. also recorded in that. At this moment in time, a podcaster's nightmare just occurred. Uh, the computer logged us off, therefore cutting off our recording, saving what we had, and well, the next half of this is going to be us scrambling to try to fill in the blanks. So music back in the day, it was a complicated process, obviously. You have to plan it all out. It's something that is not quickly done. But hey, nowadays, I mean, we're recording on a software. If our computer just logs off like it just did, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe we'll have to go back to old, old methods. It totally logged off. But that means like everything saves. I can edit things. I can change levels. We can silence things. But back in the day, recording a song was an art. You couldn't just go and do it. And it wasn't just the recording producers. It was the bands had to be tight. They had to do it right every single time before. Otherwise, you're wasting money to record. Wasting money and time. And studio time is expensive, especially back then. I can imagine it wasn't the cheapest thing. But, hey, that's why we got to love our modern tech. Because these guys who do Adobe and these great things, well, it eventually leads to applications like Spotify and Apple Music and streaming music to the masses. Just direct transfer of your recorded file onto these platforms make it that much quicker for people to consume your, your content that you're making. So if you'd ever wonder if we'd want to go back to the old days, I think I'm happy with the modern times and dealing with these problems the instead click of, of a button. going back and trying to do the things we do now back then. It's yeah. a lot easier. As like much this. as these programs give us problems like logging off when we're not ready for it to log off, you know what? It's not that bad compared to what it could be. We could have just lost a whole entire, say, vinyl recording that we made. Yeah, it could be a lot worse. But I think that's it for this week's episode. I and think so. I think we'll see you guys next week for a one-year episode of Two Top. Yeah, That's get ready. Special, special like episode. That. Yeah, we'll think of something special at that point. Something. But you didn't hear that. See you guys next time. See ya. This was Two Top, the independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg and produced by Thomas Lance. Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and join us next week for another Two Topics.